We've engaged some time ago in a study of the book of Proverbs, lessons and themes from Solomon. And we've just finished considering the, th- the grand and overarching theme of the book of Proverbs, and that is the fear of God. And last time we began considering other themes that are prominent in this book. We began to open up the subject of the sluggard that is very plainly taught throughout the book of Proverbs. And we're looking at a sluggard's portrait. And last time we saw the sluggard's description, that it is infamous, that the sluggard is notoriously lazy, he's an accomplished procrastinator, he's arrogant and self-deceived, he's an idle busybody, and when he does work, he exhibits a shoddy work ethic. Now the Lord Jesus has commanded us to be as he is, Indeed, he went about doing good. We are to be busy about the labors that he's given to us, whether it be as students or be homemakers or family leaders, breadwinners, parents. We all have a responsibility and we ought not think that this word is for somebody else and it's not for us at all. For certainly it speaks to each one of us. Because all of us have been born with a sluggard's gene, and to one degree or another, it, is, it exerts its evil influence in our lives. So this morning, after seeing the sluggard's description as infamous, we come to conclude our study with three further points And we're going to consider the first one, and that is this, that the sluggard's excuses are various. It has been said that excuses are like belly buttons. Everybody has at least one. And let's face it, sin makes us master excuse makers. As I noted last time, we must understand that excuses are nothing more than the lies we tell ourselves or tell other people. The first excuse ever uttered was spoken by Adam to God in defense of his sin. He ate because it was the woman and it was the woman that you gave me that caused me to sin. You know, he said, that's pretty cheeky to blame God, but isn't that what we do ultimately when we make excuses? And because we are conceived in the moral likeness of our sin-excusing first father, we are all born liars. We are conceived in sin, as the Bible tells us, and we come forth from the womb speaking lies. From birth, we had no one to teach us how to sin. We figured that out. We, We know how to lie. We come to lying like a duck comes to water, very naturally. And even after we are born again, the liar gene remains in our spiritual DNA because we're not perfectly sanctified. We're not yet glorified. We're still tempted to tell lies, and sometimes we do. Let's be honest with ourselves. Sin's evil influence is weakened by grace, but it will not be eradicated until glory. The sluggard is a master excuse maker. He takes lying to a new level. 
So proficient is he that he may even believe his own lies. Listen to him and Solomon's comment on him in Proverbs chapter 26, verses 13 through 16. The sluggard apparently is being exhorted to go out and find work to busy his hands. And he says, there's a lion in the road. A lion is in the open square. If I go out there, he's going to gobble me up. As a door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. He's hinged on his side. He just sleeps on one side and then on the other side. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is weary of bringing it to his mouth again. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. Last time we pointed out that the sluggard's basic problem is that he is self-deceived. One commentator recognizes how the sluggard defends his sloth with clever excuses. Commenting on these verses that we just read, <clears throat> Kidner says, The self-deceived sluggard, as he is described in these verses, has no idea that he is lazy. He is not a shirker, in verse 13. He is a realist. He is not self-indulgent, but below his best in the morning. That's why he stays in bed. His inertia is an objection to being hustled. I'm not going to go out there and be taken advantage of. Verse 15. His mental indolence is a fine sticking to his guns. I know what I'm, I'm thinking, and I'm not going to let anybody else dissuade me. In my slug, we won't call you won't call himself sluggardly. I'm not, not going to go out and look for work. It's dangerous. You don't know what can happen to a guy out there. By excusing his laziness, a sluggard lies not only to others, but worse yet to himself. Stubbornness and proud self assurance prevent him from seeking or from heeding wise counsel about his sloth. In defending himself, he thinks himself right and everyone else wrong. He is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. I'm right, and they're all wrong. Understand that, a, that the sluggard is not one who struggles with temporary bouts of laziness. But laziness is his chosen lifestyle. The sluggard will excuse Himself for walking off a good job without a sound reason, for shirking hard work or working with a slack hand, or for not seriously seeking employment at all. You see, he's always got better things to do. So understand then that his aversion to diligence and hard work is ultimately a spiritual problem. And that problem is dangerous. Because he is self-deceived. He believes his own lies. A.W. Tozer has observed that of all forms of deception, self-deception is the most deadly. And of all deceived persons, the self-deceived are the least likely to discover the fraud. The reasons, Tozer says, for this is simple. 
When a man is deceived by another, he is deceived against his will. He is contending against an adversary and is temporarily the victim of another's guile. Since he expects his foe to take advantage of him, he is watchful and quick to suspect trickery. Under such circumstances, it is possible to be deceived sometimes and for a short while, but because the victim is resisting, he may break out of the trap and escape before too long. With the self-deceived, Tozer says, it is quite different. He is his own enemy and is working a fraud upon himself. He wants to believe the lie and is psychologically conditioned to do so. He does not resist the deceit, but collaborates with it against himself. There's no struggle because the victim surrenders before the fight begins. He enjoys being deceived. Tozer goes on to say, It is altogether possible to practice fraud upon our own souls and go deceived to judgment. If a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, said Paul, he deceives himself. With this agrees the inspired James. If any among you seem to be religious and bridles not his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is vain. End of quote. Self-deception sometimes reveals itself in the sluggard's chronic procrastination. He's always putting off until tomorrow what needs to be done today. And as we noted last time, tomorrow for the sluggard never seems to come. A number of psychological reasons have been put forward to explain, and I think maybe with this writer worse, to excuse the sluggard's procrastination. He may be paralyzed by fear of failure, though he doesn't go out and try. He figures he's just going to fail. Why even give it to trouble? Or he may be frightened by the prospect of change. If I go out and do this, my life may change, and I just don't like the prospect of that. Or he may be leery of tackling challenging situations. I, I just don't think I'll be able to do that. And so he doesn't try. He may be doubtful about his personal responsibility. I don't really think I need to do that. Somebody else can do that. Or he may lack confidence in himself and ultimately in God if he's a professing Christian. I just can't do it. Or he may be wary of committing himself to an endeavor since he fears the future. I just don't want to get started in this because it's just not going to work. Well, I suggest that the least common denominator for all these excuses points to a lack of faith in Christ. A lack of reliance upon the promises of God and a plain disobedience to God's commands. Excuse making cripples the sluggard. It keeps him from making wise choices and acting decisively. While the sluggard is waiting for some good idea to materialize or some plan to come together, the diligent man puts his hand to the plow and enjoys the fruit of his labor. Proverbs 12 and verse 11, He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, 
But he who pursues vain things lacks sense. The sluggard, that the sluggard is a procrastinator doesn't mean that he doesn't plan to work. Yeah, he, he plans to work, but it's someday. He may dream of grand schemes, but they never come to fruition, unlike the working man who goes to work and profits from his labor. Sluggards may become great talkers because they're continually defending their idleness. But like most great talkers, they remain little doers. Like Bunyan's character, talkative in Pilgrim's Progress, whose lively tongue always outran his feet in the way of practical religion, so the, the sluggard may boast of grand plans, but they never come off the drawing board. That's where they stay. He's forever scheming, but he's never doing. How unlike the industrious man who works hard and sees abundant fruit from his labors, Proverbs 14, 23, in all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Even when he doesn't put his plans into effect, or does put his plans into effect, they usually prove as fruitless as they are frivolous. And how opposite is the blessing enjoyed by the diligent. Proverbs 28, verse 19. He who tills his land will have plenty of food, but he who follows empty pursuits will have poverty in plenty. Charles Bridges observes, Our true happiness is active dependence. Habits of diligence are the means of working it out fruitfully. The earth brings forth of itself only thorns and thistles, but he that tills his land shall have plenty of bread. The blessing comes not by miracle to encourage sloth, but in use of means to stimulate exertion. Listen to those words again. The blessing comes not by miracle to encourage sloth, but in the use of means to stimulate exertion. Wise words are these and true. The manna work, mantra, work smart, not hard, is not necessarily an excuse for laziness. Yet smart work usually requires hard work. Ordinarily, there is no substitute for sweat and toil. But those who shirk work or think themselves wise in seeking ill-gotten gain are fools. Those who seek a miracle at the slot machine or gambling table or with lottery tickets or by engaging in shady business deals and other get-rich-quick schemes reveal not wisdom but folly. Not integrity and faith, but a covetous heart. Solomon's homey saying exposes the folly of sloth. And though he utters this in an agrarian setting, its principle still applies in our modern mechanized world. He observes in Proverbs 14 and verse 4, Where no oxen are, the manger is clean. But... Much increase comes by the strength of the ox. 
You have an ox, he works, he makes a mess of his stable, you've got to clean it up. But the mere fact that you're cleaning up the, the ox's manure gives testimony to the fact that that animal is working for you, and he's bringing profit. In other words, a dirty job well done pays dividends. At its root, sloth is a spiritual problem because it is a sin. It tempts God. It transgresses God's design and creation that man, under ordinary circumstances, if he is able-bodied, must labor for his bread. It is also a violation of the fourth commandment. The introduction of it requires daily work. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. That's how the fourth commandment begins. The Lord Jesus is our perfect model of diligence. He who came from heaven to redeem us from our sin lived an active, fruitful life. He went about doing good and preaching and teaching and healing as he trod the path to the cross where he did his ultimate work on our behalf, saving his people from their sin, the sin that also includes sloth, John 4 and verse 24, our brother alluded to it in his prayer. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I've got work to do. I've got to roll up my sleeves and get it done. John 5 and verse 36, Jesus says, The works which the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I do. He says, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. He didn't send his son to be idle, but to be busy. How many times do we read in the Gospels that Jesus purposefully came to do this or that, that he was always busily caring for others, sparing no exertion for their good? And our Lord's commendation of honest labor is assumed in several of his parables. We cannot miss his plain condemnation of laziness in his parable of the talents. Lying just beneath and giving force to its spiritual application is Jesus' reprobation of the lazy. Matthew 25 and verse 26. But his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I do, did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Let's consider Jesus' words here for a minute. Notice first that Jesus regards the lazy slave as wicked. He didn't say you just have a character flaw and you need to you know, get this psychological problem fixed. No, you see, a man may be wicked without being lazy, but he cannot be lazy without being wicked. Laziness is wickedness. Second, the lazy slave refused to work. He refused to invest his talent that he was given to him because he harbored ill will toward his master, whom he misjudged as being abusive. You know, you, you reap where you don't sow. Specifically, the lazy slave accuses master of wickedly getting rich off the sweat of his labors. 
And let me just say by way of application at this point, how many employees today justify their sloth from a Marxist mentality that views employers as oppressors who needn't be obeyed or from whom they may justly steal? They're the oppressors. I'm the oppressed. They're the 1%. I'm the poor 99%. Of course I can pilfer. He's not paying me what I'm worth. Third, Jesus judged the wicked, lazy slave according to his own standard. This is how you see me? We see if his master had been such a man as the slave imagined him to be, he should have at least invested his money in a bank. But what did he do? He buried it in the dirt, in the soil of his own hostility and laziness. Let me add a warning at this point. Change gears just a little bit. In exposing the sluggard's laziness and deception, we must not pass to a different form of idleness, one that may easily pass under our radar. We might think something which is a vice, actually, we might think of it as a virtue. And here I speak of the workaholic. He's a different kind of sluggard. A workaholic is one who is described as one, one who has a compulsive and unrelenting need to work. Or similarly, it's a person who feels compelled to work excessively. We usually associate that second meaning with the word workaholic. Sluggardliness, you see, is essentially a neglect of duty, of a person's responsibility. The chronically unemployed or lazy man neglects his vocational responsibility. The workaholic, on the other hand, who gives inordinate time and energy to his vocation, neglects his duty to his family and maybe other social responsibilities as well. Because the workaholic gives himself to hard work, he excuses his sloth at home. Because the workaholic gives himself to such hard work, he thinks that his slothfulness at home is just really a byproduct, not really a big deal, of working hard to provide for the family. His wife and children suffer because he who is excessively away at his job becomes a couch potato when he gets home. Just leave me alone. I've been so busy I want to watch my ball games. I want to do this or I want to do that. You see, he's just too busy for a family vacation or to take his kids to a ball game or to involve himself in their lives. Now, some men work very hard and they work very hard at home and taking care of their kids. It's not one or the other. Some people don't work at all and they don't take care of their kids. They're a, they're a couch potato, and they don't go to work. You see, the workaholic, he excuses himself as just 
too exhausted, too tired to lead his family. He neglects himself. He neglects them. He is a spiritual sluggard. He doesn't take care of his own soul, nor does he see his responsibility to take care of the souls of his family. He's just too exhausted to lead his family in worship at home. In fact, he may be too busy to gather with God's people on the Lord's Day. I've worked all week. I shouldn't have to get up to go to church. A man who may be working himself into an early grave at the officer's shop abuses his wife and kids by his neglect at home. He doesn't, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? He doesn't think that way. The workaholic may be as blind to his sin as the classic sluggard is to his. In fact, he may proudly assert that, you know, I'm not lazy. I provide well for this family. I should be praised for my work ethic. While others may be slackers, I'm a hard worker. And so he finds it easy to defend his domestic failures. Pastors and missionaries who should know better may be guilty of workaholism and its evil impact upon their domestic responsibilities. Excusing their busyness in ministry and neglect of their family because they are busy doing God's work, you see, while their wives and children suffer. Brethren, God nowhere commands ministers to sacrifice their families upon the altar of ministerial diligence. God isn't going to ask them about the church on the last day. That's not the first question. How busy were they in the church? But how busy were they in their primary domestic responsibilities? Instead, one of the requirements of elders and deacons is that they rule their families well. Absentee husbands and fathers fail in this essential prerequisite. And I suggest to you that the root sin of the sluggard and of the workaholic boils down to idolatry. You see, we may easily make a god of labor or of leisure. Excuses for this idolatry deny God's authority, if not his existence. One could almost say of those plagued with this sin, what Jesus said of the demoniac, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. So notice, thirdly, we've seen that the Sluggard's description is infamous. His excuses are various. Thirdly, the sluggard's problem is serious. The sluggard is his own worst enemy. His idleness brings its own punishment. He wants and does not have because he refuses to work. Matthew Henry says, The slothful desire the gains which the diligent get, but they hate the pains which the diligent take. And for this reason, 
opportunities for advancement pass him by because he's lazy and indecisive. Benjamin Franklin, who wasn't a Christian, had much common grace, and many of his observations said this, The man who does things makes many mistakes, but he never makes the biggest mistake of all, doing nothing. Sluggardliness is costly, and its cost takes many forms. The sluggard's most obvious problem is poverty. Now, let's not misunderstand this point. Not all poverty is due to slothfulness. A poor person may be industrious, but God, for his own wise and good reasons, keeps him poor through no fault of his own. That's not what we're talking about. But many who are poor are poor because of their sluggardliness. They won't work, they don't earn, they don't eat. Solomon speaks often of this problem. Proverbs 10.4 Poor is he who works with a negligent hand. 19.15 Laziness casts into a deep sleep, and the idle man will suffer hunger. 23.21 Drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. 20, verse 4, the slugger does not plow after the autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. Chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and your poverty will come in like a vagabond, and your need like an armed man. It's going to be like a home invasion. You're going to lose everything. A sluggard's prospects for even modest financial improvement are usually slim to none. That's sad. That's tragic. This is because the man who has little incentive for advancement forfeits his independence, and he places himself at the mercy of others. One man said, It is an ordinance of heaven which none can reverse, that the idle shall be subject to the industrious. If he works at all, a sluggard's employment will ordinarily be confined to menial labor, the jobs that nobody else wants to do, or he places himself in dependence upon other people. Proverbs 12, verse 24, the slack hand. The word slack there literally is deceitful. The deceitful hand will be put to forced labor. The slacker may dig his own grave by his sloth, 21-25. The desire of the sluggard puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work. A second and often related problem for many sluggards is love of pleasure. His desire for luxury ruins him financially. He wastes whatever wealth he has on what is worthless. Proverbs 21, 17. He who loves pleasure will become a poor man, and he who loves wine and oil will not become rich. 23, 21. For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. 
my father used to warn me about the folly of cultivating champagne tastes when you have only a beer pocketbook. And so it is with many a sluggard. He has rich tastes, but he is constantly living beyond his means. He maxes out his credit cards and drains his bank account by pursuing inordinate pleasures and sensual gratification. If he's single, and sometimes even if he's married, he gives himself to wine to women and song. Eventually, wastefulness and extravagance catch up with him and leave him destitute. I issue a warning at this point. You are no friend to a sluggard if you frequently bail him out of his financial jams. A friend of mine said regarding panhandlers, and this, this man opens his home. He's helped out a lot of people. He says, I don't give handouts. I seek to give a hand up. I think that's wise. But those who bail people continually out of financial jams, this, this kind of charity, if you want to call it that, only encourages irresponsibility. And though it may be motivated by kindness, one who goes surety for a sluggard, one who pays his bills, who puts him in financial um, responsibility for the sluggard, he's the worst fool. Proverbs 17 and verse 18. A man lacking in sense pledges and becomes surety in the presence of his neighbor. He says, I'll stand good for his debts. It's, it's a, that's foolish. A third problem common to sluggards, not surprisingly, is a neglect of their belongings. They really don't value things as they should, you see. Remember, idleness is essentially a spiritual problem, and a slothful man fails to see himself as a steward who is responsible to God to care for his provisions. Ecclesiastes 10, 18 through indolence, through laziness, through idleness, the rafters sag, and through slackness, the house leaks. You see, he doesn't keep up on his domestic duties. He's too busy doing other what he considers more worthwhile things. Proverbs 24, verses 30 and 31. I pass by the field of the sluggard and the vineyard of the man lacking sense, and behold... It was completely overgrown with nettles, its surface, or with thistles, its surface was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. He just let everything go to pot, you see. And I suggest also that the sluggard often neglects the care of himself, his own person. He may not maintain his personal appearance, and he may neglect the needs of his body. Many sluggards are fat and out of shape. Some are in poor health. Now, obviously, not all unhealthy persons and those that are overweight are necessarily sluggards. Yet those who pamper themselves with an unhealthy diet, with inordinate drink, 
and a couch potato lifestyle who shun moderate exercise may actually put themselves in an early grave. This fate may befall the workaholic no less than the idle man or woman. Once again, beloved, we are reminded that whatsoever a man sows, this will he also reap. Sow diligence and reap bounty. Sow sloth and reap misery. God will not be mocked. Fourthly, finally, before we come to a couple words of concluding application, we've seen that the sluggard's excuses are various, his problem is serious. Finally, the sluggard's reformation is laborious. There's no play on words here. It's a simple fact. Reforming a sluggard is no easy task. Everything in him resists taking the pains to become dependable and industrious at home or at work. Why is this? Why eight reasons or nine? First of all, the sluggard needs to realize that his idleness is not a character quirk, but sin against God and others. Making him see this is difficult since he is convinced that he is right and all who would reprove him are necessarily wrong. He's got an excuse for everybody and for everything. Proverbs 26, 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. 26, 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Remember, since the sluggard is self-deceived, he will not readily admit and repent of his folly. Proverbs 27, 22. Though you pound a, a fool in mortar with a pestle along with crushed grain, yet his folly will not... Depart from him. You can't get it out of him. It's just part and parcel of who he is. You see, until he is brought to confess his sin as sloth, a sluggard will never change. Repentance is the first order of the day for the sluggard. Without repentance, he will not change his life. We see this on our city streets, sadly. Secondly, the sluggard needs to be taught basic principles of economics through simple but powerful illustrations. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. What, what, what does Solomon say to the sluggard? Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. You see, be busy about sowing, be busy about working, and you'll be bountiful in reaping. You'll have continual provision. You see, this is somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but it's, it's as painful as it is pointed. If for a lazy human to be taught by an industrious ant, it's, it's sarcastic, it's humiliating. But he says, if you won't look at men, look at the ant beneath your feet. Learn a lesson from that little creature. Third, the sluggard needs to appreciate the dignity and reward that comes to the diligent. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before 
obscure men. He's going to be recognized. He's going to be rewarded. He's going to be honored. Proverbs 18, 16, though the meaning is different, the practical application is the same. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. That's talking about a bribe. But the fact is, hard work, the gift of a hard work, it makes room for a man. I'll tell you, today there are so many lazy people out there that a person with diligence, they rise to the top quickly. Oh, young people, heed that. Work hard. And you'll rise in prominence. You'll be recognized and rewarded. Fourthly, the sluggard needs to learn that hard work produces happiness and a sense of well-being. Satisfaction in a job well done. Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 24. There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. That isn't just secular thinking. Yeah, common grace teaches this, but so does special grace. So does the Bible. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God. Fifthly, the sluggard, especially if he's a professing Christian, needs to learn that honest labor is essential if he would fulfill his duty to help those in real need. Ephesians 4 and verse 28, Let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. He used to steal from others. Now let him work so that he has to give to others. Sixthly, the sluggard needs to observe and imitate models of in industry and integrity. Paul, speaking to the Ephesian elders at Miletus, says in Acts 20 and verse 35, In everything I showed you, that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the needs, or the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And he says in another place, with these hands I labored to provide for myself and for others. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 7, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. We weren't mooches. We had the right to expect from you Food, drink, housing. A laborer is worthy of his hire, but we were busy working so that we didn't become a burden to you and for you to think that we're just in it for the money and what we can get. Seventh, the sluggard, if he is a professing Christian, must see that his idleness harms his Christian testimony. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 12, or 11 and 12 and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you may behave properly toward outsiders, that is, non-Christians, and not be in any need. Be a faithful hard worker. 
Don't put yourself on the government dole. If God has given you hands and he's given you a back, or he's given you a mind, work with those gifts that God's given. Don't get on the public dole. It's really not a good witness. Eighthly, the sluggard must not allow him uh, be allowed to rely upon the charity of others, but to work. Second Thessalonians three twelve. Now such persons, these were the idle. They weren't working. They quit. They were mooching. They were going around from house to house, becoming bothersome. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in a quiet fashion and eat their own bread. No, don't follow the grub line. Get to work. Finally, the sluggard, especially if he's a professing Christian, must be brought to see that on the last day God will reward diligence and punish idleness eternally. Colossians 3, verses 23 through 25. Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord rather than for men. You see, this is a spiritual endeavor. There's something sacred about honest work. We're doing it for the Lord. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Not only abusive bosses, but also idle workers. Same. Brethren, how we work demonstrates our view of God and of the Christian life. And therefore, how we approach labor has consequences not only for time, but for eternity. What does it say to us by way of concluding exhortations? You say, well, Pastor Steve, we came here to hear a, a New Year's Eve message. We wanted to hear, well, it, isn't there some aspect of this that we can take into the New Year? Surely this is an appropriate New Year's Eve resolution. Is it not to be busy about our labors? Well, first of all, let us see sluggardliness as a sin, a serious sin to be repented of. Let each one of us take this message personally. Let's not be looking behind us, ahead of us, across the pews at somebody else. Let's take this message personally. Let's not be looking for sloth in others to excuse it in ourselves. Or if we're industrious, let us not be looking down our nose at those we deem less so. But rather, let us repent of areas of idleness in our own life. If you're a Christian, you still have the idleness gene that you inherited from Adam. And our tendency is always toward laziness, not toward diligence. That's something we have to work at. Laziness comes easy, doesn't it? I know it does with me. Secondly, let us seek the help of God to change habits of laziness into habits of diligence. We can't do this in the flesh. 
No, we need, we need the help of God. What did Jesus say? Apart from me, you can what? You can do nothing. What did the Apostle Paul say? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Be praying, make me diligent, O Lord, for all these right reasons. Employers and employees, remember that it is the Lord Christ that you serve. Yes, you're working for a boss, but it's ultimately the Lord Jesus before whom you'll stand one day, not your boss. It's he that you serve. Ask yourself, what areas am I lazy that need to be shored up with diligence? Husbands and wives, how about your spiritual leadership? Husbands, toward your wives. Are you washing them with water in the word as you seek to sacrificially give yourself to them? What are some areas of husband sluggardliness that come to your mind? Parents, moms, dads, are you too busy to nurture your children spiritually? What changes should you make in your priorities and in your schedule? Are you skipping family worship with your children because you're just too busy or just too tired? Are you opening the Bible and reading to them and praying with them, singing with them? You know, we've all got excuses. We do what we believe needs to be done, don't we? Students, in your studies, are you doing your very best as unto the Lord? Or are you slacking off and shirking Are you studying to the glory of God? Doing your very best. Not ultimately for your personal aggrandizement, but for the glory of the God who's given you an intellect to be used for His honor. Churchmen, let me ask you, brothers and sisters, your faithful faithful attendance at the public means of grace on the Lord's day. We can be spiritual sluggards on Sundays. Probably more easy that day than any other day, right? Just a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. Oh, we've got all kinds of excuses. Or in the building here, helping out, cleaning up after our fellowship meal. You see snow out there that needs to be shoveled or ice that needs to be scraped. Chip in. Don't ask, just do. If you have any doubt, ask an elder or deacon to help you. How about personal witnessing, even? Speaking the gospel out of a climate of faithfulness to your vocational and domestic duties, it'll give traction to your witness. If you're a faithful employee, in a godly husband or father to those that you witness to and point to Jesus Christ who always went about doing good. 
Let me speak to non-Christians here this morning. Oh, the danger of procrastination, of waiting to come to Jesus Christ. I can always come tomorrow. Well, let me ask you, do you always have tomorrow? One of these days, our tomorrows are going to end. The Bible says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day will bring. The command to God is now. Now you're to come to Christ. Now is the right time. Don't wait. Don't presume upon what you don't know. What does the Bible say? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. There comes a time when he won't be found and he won't be near. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Don't put off the most important thing that you can ever do, and that is to trust Christ, to be saved from your sin, to have heaven on your horizon and not hell. Don't be a spiritual sluggard. Pray, God, give me feet of faith and repentance to run to Jesus Christ, to lay hold of Him and be saved, because then it doesn't matter what comes tomorrow. I'm safely hid with Christ in God. I'm in the ark of safety. No matter what billows and what waves come, I know where I'm going to end up. And until that day, Lord, help me to be faithful in the work that you've given these hands to do. Let's pray. Our Father, how can we preach and hear this message without being found out by your word that says thou art the man let us not be blame shifters pointing to others circumstances let us not be deniers let us be honest with you honest with your word honest with our sin and honest with the remedy in Jesus Christ Lord, help us this coming year to be busy about the tasks to which you have called us. Lord, you have, you have not commanded us to make bricks without straw. Indeed, you've given us grace to do what you've commanded us to do. We can't do it in the flesh. We can only do it with, with your power working in us by your Spirit. Therefore, we pray that we would make new strides this year in our domestic and our Um, vocational faithfulness to be about the tasks that you've given to us that we might prove to be a blessing to others even as you blessed us might we be conduits of blessing to those who need us for we ask these things in Jesus name Amen